Um, just a few announcements for us this morning. Um, a men's dinner, the Monday Thursday dinner. I think uh, I'm interviewing Dad on his new book. That's um, April 9th, 6:30 p.m. Uh, men, you can get tickets online. Um, and then the book itself. I think they're giving the book out at the dinner. It's like if you reserve a table, you get 10 copies for 10 seats at the table. I think is how it works. But but the uh, yeah, there you go. 10 tickets and 10 copies. So if you buy one ticket, do you get one copy? I don't know. You'll have to ask questions later. Uh, and then the book itself is uh, available uh, in the Leading the Way bookstore. And then VBS, uh, parents, make sure you sign your kids up. VBS, June 8th through the 12th. And um, that registration has opened already. Well... Transitioning from that seamlessly, um, I don't want you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you, um, you, f- you feel satisfied with where you are as it relates to God in your knowledge of him and your faith in him and your trust in him. And how many here feel the need to, to reform or, or revive their relationship with God? One of the ways you can tell a great deal about how well a person's walk with God is going is to look at their prayer life. Well, I can admit this is true, at least of me. Um, the funny thing is that it works a bit ironically, almost like we didn't have someone to pray for the sermon about prayer. Um, you know, when I think that I'm doing really well, when I think I'm doing great, uh, when I feel like I am in control of my life, uh, that tends to be when my prayer life is suffocated. Um, but when I am feeling weak, when I'm feeling broken, that is when I am desperate and I'm, I'm calling to God and I'm seeking to grow in understanding him and his ways. Dad is doing um, a series on the Beatitudes at the 1030 service and it looks like most of the people from here will be at that uh, service because their phones didn't wake them up or whatever it may be. Um, but, but, but thinking about the Beatitudes, you know, what well, the first Beatitude is, is blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning those who recognize their inability to save themselves. They recognize their need for a savior. The second is uh, the one they're looking at today is blessed are those who mourn, those who are mourning over their sin, those who mourn over their brokenness. Upon that is building what the people of the kingdom of God look like. When we consider our prayer life, the, the way that we express ourselves to God, the way that we submit ourselves to him, we recognize the importance of these postures, the, the poverty of spirit, the mourning over our sin. And yet more often than not, we're not very good at it. I sometimes pray my list of requests like um, a teenager asking to stay out late. Please give me these things. I promise to be better. I promise to try harder. Um, 
Or I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to be praying, and so I start praying, uh, but then I get lost halfway through my prayer, and I, I forget where I'm going, or I just plain forget. And, uh, and then someone tends to remind me, like when I'm getting Isaac ready for bed, and um, I've kind of got him all ready, and I'm about to put him to bed, and he knows the routine that we go through, and he puts his hands together, and he says, pray mommy, pray daddy. He's not asking me to pray. He's saying, I pray for mommy, and I pray for daddy, and I think, well, shoot. <clears throat> you are right. I forgot to pray and to teach my son reliance upon God, I needed a toddler to remind me of that, uh, of that dependence that we have on God. Uh, prayer is a funny thing. Prayer, prayer presupposes uh, an underlying theology, right? We pray because we know there is a God who is listening to us, who wants to hear from us. But also, our theology influences our prayer life. So if I believe that, that God is, is very busy, he's too busy, then I only pray when there are uh, emergencies, when I feel like it it's qualifies for, for coming before God. If I believe that he's not all-powerful, then my prayers will reflect that. On the other hand, our praying will influence our theology. So if, if my prayer life is, is sparse, uh, if it's not important, that, then you may start to believe that God doesn't really care about your prayer life, or, or you for that matter. This is one reason why looking at the scriptures is extremely important. We want to understand God better so that we can have a fuller theology, and in turn, that will affect our prayer life, which will affect our theology, which will affect our prayer life, which will affect our theology, and the cycle will continue. That's why I wanted to do a little series on praying with Paul. As we look at what Paul prayed, what is God showing us about himself and us through Paul's writings? How can we be growing in, in spiritual maturity? How can we be trusting more and more in Christ? What are the things that we continue to forget that we need reminding of? And hopefully we see the, the outworking of that in our personal and our corporate prayer lives. Because the reality is, our prayers will be small if we don't know what God has done. If we don't really know who he is, and we don't really know who we are as his people. And that's what we're looking at this morning. I prayed for us earlier, but let me, let me pray for us uh, again as we, uh, as we look at God's word. Father, we were broken vessels. Uh, we, like sheep, go astray, and yet you you draw us back in. You pull us back in. And so, Father, we pray that as we open your word, that you would teach our hearts, that you would give us teachable hearts, that we would have minds to hear what it is that you're saying and that you would bring transformation in our lives through that, that we would take and apply and you would do that by your spirit. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And before we look at our points for uh, the passage this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about the umbrella that this all falls under. The, the umbrella is the sovereignty of God. 
As far as I know, two of the biggest discussions I hear tend to revolve around two things. One is the, the conversation about law and grace, and the other is about man's free will and God's sovereignty. And so I wanted to just take a minute to, to talk about that. Um, one of the biggest issues people have with prayer is the role of the sovereignty of God and, 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 and man's human free will. And because our text is, is, is so uh, filled with that language, uh, praying under the sovereignty of God, I think it's important that we start by looking at this balance that takes place throughout Scripture. And so here are two truths from the Bible that occur again and again and again uh, in the Bible. First of all, God is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty never functions in Scripture to reduce human responsibility. Second, human beings are responsible creatures. That is, uh, we choose, we believe, we disobey, we respond, and there is moral significance in our choices. However, human responsibility never functions in Scripture to diminish God's sovereignty or to make God uh, absolutely dependent. Both of these are taught and seen throughout Scripture. Part of our problem is believing that both are true. We tend to use one and, and diminish another. Uh, we, we emphasize one at the expense of the other. But proper reading of Scripture does not allow for this. Uh, when Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, his brothers are, are, are guilty of the wicked act that they have committed, but at the same time, God used it to save his people from famine. Both are true. We see that taking place through this prayer as well. So we will consider this as we look at this prayer that God has given us through the Apostle Paul. And so three points for us this morning. It's not on the screen, so if you're taking notes, you can write them down. But three points. As we've already mentioned, thanks for what God has done. Pray that we might know God better and pray that we might know ourselves better. First, we give thanks for what he has done. Verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, okay, well, what is he, what is he looking back to? That's why I asked Charlotte to read from verse 3. I'm sorry I didn't give you my water, Charlotte. I think I have coronavirus, so um, I'm just kidding. That You guys didn't laugh, so I thought you might have believed me. Um, no, but, but, but since, uh, since verse 3, Paul has been going through everything that God has done for these Ephesian Christians. Everything God has done for us. For us, because he chose us before the foundation of the world. You see the sovereignty already at play here. For this reason, in light of this spectacular work of God, I never stop giving thanks to God for you, for your faith and your love, because that has come from God. God has worked that faith. God has worked that love in you sovereignly. It's his work. And so I give him thanks. 
You can see in verse 13 the climax of what God has done for them. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the gospel being preached and believed, uh, you feel the tension again between the, the God's sovereignty, uh, the choosing of them, and, and, and the believing in him, the act that, they, that they've chosen to believe in him, right? You feel that tension at play. But Paul says, when you, they were included in Christ, what does that mean? Remember back to verse 3. When you are in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. This is the prayer that you pray for the person that has everything. You know what it's like to, to try and buy a gift for the person that has everything, right? You have no idea what to get them. So then you give them an ashtray that your child has made uh, in pottery class. Uh, this is the, the prayer that, that Paul prays for the Ephesians who have everything. They have every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does Paul pray for them? That they might know that it is God who has given this to them. And so he tells them, I thank God constantly for what God has made you in Christ. Again in verse 13, God then marked you with a seal with the promised Holy Spirit. He included you in Christ and then he marked you with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, that word for seal is like um, a stamp of ownership, right? It's like you put a brand on a, on a cattle, on cattle, so you know who, which cattle is yours. And the Ephesians would have known about this because the big industry in Ephesus was uh, the timber industry. Uh, big logs would have been cut down upriver and then, and then floated down for several miles. And the only identifying mark to know whose logs were whose was the brand or the, the marking that was stamped on each one. Paul says, with the Holy Spirit, we have been imprinted as God's own precious possession. We are his all by his power, all by his will, and all to the praise of his glorious grace. If we are overwhelmed with that concept, then one would think that we would be overwhelmed with gratitude to our God, our Father, and we will give him thanks because of what he has done for us in Christ. Without this work of the Father, none of us would be Christians, right? Now, most of us here, if not all of us, are, are, are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have been included in Christ, and we have been sealed with him uh, by the Holy Spirit. None of that would have happened without the work of God in us and for us. God chose you before the foundation of the world and included you in him. Now, he chose me because why wouldn't he choose me? I'm, I'm pretty fantastic. That's also a joke. Uh, no, in fact, that's when things go wrong is when I actually start thinking that. Well, why wouldn't God want me on his team? I'm, I'm great. The opposite is true, I think. 
There is nothing in me that God was drawn to. We need to express that, that, that dependence and that thankfulness to him. Recognizing who we are, who we were before he opened our spiritual eyes. And we need to give thanks for the work of God that goes beyond just ourselves. That's what Paul is doing here. He's thinking about the Ephesian church and he says, thanks to God for the work that is going on in your church. (laughs) I was there when it began uh, and I have heard since uh, of the wonderful work uh, that has continued. You look at some of the amazing gospel work that's going on around the world and it really is astounding. You think of the underground church in China. We have close friends from Australia who, have, who had decided to move their family and relocate there. The, the great difficulties and the challenges that they face, the, the, the freedoms and the things that they forfeited uh, in order to help foster a culture of discipleship, in, in order to make sure that the word is taught well. I've been privileged to see some of this firsthand around the world, those difficult circumstances that people are ministering in, and yet with great joy, the gospel goes out and people are converted and they are fed and we rejoice with that. You look at um, the other biblical Bible teaching churches in Atlanta. You know, you meet people who have such great wisdom and, and joy and you know that they are being taught well. And so we rejoice in the gospel that is going out from this city. So we pray, thanking God for what he has done and what he is continuing to do. Second, we are taught to pray, asking God that we might know him better. This is the chief and first goal of Paul's prayer, that we might know God better. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. <laughs> Felt like we were going on the women's retreat again. <clears throat> uh, now you're awake. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. It's a prayer that we might know God better as Father. Or or as Paul says here, as the Father of glory, we are asking the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ to give us the Spirit so that we might know him better as Father. It sounds redundant, right? What a Trinitarian prayer this is. Asking the Father of Christ to give us the Spirit so that we may know him better as Father. Some today are suggesting that the Father is actually the forgotten member of the Trinity. You know, evangelicals, we we put a great emphasis on Christ, and and there's other circles that put a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit and, and garners a lot of attention around the world. And amidst all of that, the Father has become the forgotten person. Well, then when you consider where we are today as a society, where the role of the Father is constantly put down, where fathers are depicted in film and television as absent, abusive, or moronic, where you know, issues of, of gender fluidity and, and, and same-sex attraction are topics that people would rather discuss. With all of that, it, it, it's less common and less fashionable 
to talk about God as our Father. Here is Paul's prayer that we may more deeply know God as the Father of glory. Not everyone here will have had great relationships with their own fathers, but God, God is our glorious Father. I wonder if you've ever prayed that God would help you to know Him better as the Father of glory. It's not often that we do that. We often pray for the things that are immediate and urgent. But, but I keep thinking, what would be more urgent than growing in the knowledge of, of God as Father? Understanding that, giving us a foundation upon which we understand so many other things in our world. And how does this happen? It happens by His Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. As the Spirit opens our understanding of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, this is how revelation, the word revelation, is used in other parts of Ephesians. In chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, The mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Paul's not saying, uh, pray for new insight from the Spirit that will come to you personally, like Muhammad or, or, or Joseph Smith. He's saying, pray that the Spirit might so help you to understand the revelation that was given to the apostles and the prophets. That is, to better understand the Word of God by His Spirit, that you may know God more deeply. And I think at this point, there's two mistakes we can make. We can make the mistake of thinking that we can know God better apart from His Word. I remember uh, several years ago, I met a, uh, a young guy who was talking about and telling me that, that he, he wanted to worship Jesus, but he didn't think he needed the Bible for it. Well, I don't even remember what I said. I mean, I, there's so much to say there. But we can also make the mistake of thinking that we can know God better by simply having his word and not depending on him in prayer. To deepen our grasp and our understanding of him, we need both. We need both the living word and we need God's spirit so that we might know him more deeply. And this knowledge is not, it's not a new knowledge. It's, um, if you remember our series in 1 Corinthians, we were talking about how the spirit is like, like a searching light, like a spotlight. He focuses on Christ and through Christ to the Father. Knowing God is not just about memorizing a set of facts or, or dates. It is knowing God personally as, as our loving Father of glory. But particularly, it is knowing what he has done in his Son. So a prayer might sound like this. Father, help me by your spirit to meet you in your word by your spirit. Your word which is centered upon the, the life and work and death and resurrection of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing we are to see is that we might be uh, praying, asking to know ourselves better. We thank God for what he has done. We pray that we might know him better. We pray that we might know ourselves better. And when 
And when those all come together, Paul is assuming we would be so moved by what God has done for us and therefore who we are, our identity in Christ, that we will live with confidence in an opposing world. Our world has an identity crisis. When you take God out of the picture, out of a society, out of our own lives, we are left only with self-definition when it comes to identity. That's all we have. We have no external telling us who we are. We only have self to define who we are. That's why when someone attacks something they identify with, they are attacking the very person themselves. That's why you cannot say today, uh, I object to this aspect of your life because they have identified that to be the very core of their identity. And to at the same time tell them that you are loving them. It sounds impossible to comprehend to people that have not had their spiritual eyes open, Right? Because this identity is, is all that we have and, and, it, and it's self-defined. And so the identity politics that flow from it express profound insecurity. God says, here is who you are in Christ. And if you know who you are, then you are able to stand firm. That's what Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians for. If you look at chapter 6, verse 13, you can see why Paul is writing this letter to them in Ephesus. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God for spiritual battle that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. He wants them to stand firm for Christ. Even as the entire city seeks to, to, to toss them and drag them into and pull them apart into a million different directions. I wonder if you feel that pressure. You know, we don't live in a, you know, we live in a city that may have a lot of churches, but, but we still live in a, in a city that's pulling us in so many different directions that, that, that's a culture that wants to occupy all of our time, consume all of our time and our energy. But if you know who you are, then you are able to stand firm against those tides that, that tried to detract you, that tried to pull away from you. Ephesus was, um, it was a town filled with uh, spiritual power. We read in Acts chapter 19 as, as Paul is preaching in Ephesus. Uh, people were being converted and, and the people were being converted. Uh, many of the converts were actually magicians. And the people turned, uh, came, and they, they, they did a huge bonfire, and they, they, they threw all their magic books and their magic scrolls onto this bonfire to have them burn up because they had been thoroughly converted to Christ. We're told it's about $15 million worth of magic books that this town burned. And so these people, they needed to know who they were. Because the identity that they had had for their life had been now, is now gone. And so Paul gives them three things that they need to know. And the same for us. Verse 18, we need to know the hope to which he has called us. 
Our loving Father has called us and he has called us to a certain hope. If you trust in Jesus, you have a certain but unseen future which will one day be revealed in the future reality that when Christ's all-consuming rule will be visible. That is where all of human history is is headed. We read this in verse 10 of of chapter 1. It says, the times will have reached their fulfillment when the Father brings all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. That's the calling of the whole of history. And you Christians have been grabbed by God and are on that trajectory. All things are coming under Christ on that day, You're either going willingly or unwillingly, and you have been called right now to live under Christ. The the future reality is your present existence in, in following Christ, living under his rule. And we need to grasp that future orientation with all of our hearts, Paul says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That is the the very core of your being real spiritual insight, the the light of God passing through your spiritual eyes into the eyes of your heart so that you may deeply grasp this calling, this calling towards the future of Christ. The second thing we need to know is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Who gets the inheritance according to this? It's not us. Paul is saying this is about God's inheritance This is the the, the portion that belongs to him. And who is it? It's us, the people of God. It's an Old Testament idea that that we, the people of God, are God's treasured possession. That God has chosen us and possessed us from all eternity. His people, his treasured possession, his glorious inheritance. He'll redeem us and complete us at the last day because we are his treasured possession. If you knew that, if you really knew that, if you really and truly understood that, then you can live with confidence even in the midst of an oppressive city, an oppressive people. Thirdly and finally, Paul says, know about yourself, his mighty power at work in us. Verse 19 the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. How do we know we're going to get there in the end? Because God's great power is for us. Where would you expect to see God's great power on display? Some may say creation. Uh, some may say you know, the nature and the beauty uh, around us. In Ephesus, they may have said that they see God's power in the uh, religious, spiritual things, Paul says the supreme spiritual power in the universe is resurrection power. Here is his power, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power, the power that raised Christ from the dead. And it's a power that seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. A power that was raised up over Satan, over the spiritual forces of this world, over the heavenly beings, and seated to rule and all things verse 22 are put under his feet that is what the power of God does 